think that tension will feed um, our desire for creating some change and bringing some of those things back home. I guess the benefit of being a leader in that is that you get to see people grow and develop and flourish. The idea of being able to be curious is you'll have curiosities in your personal life that you actually have to go forward and achieve. Welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. I'm Paul Fairweather. And I'm Chris Meredith. And Chris and I are on a mission to open up the conversation about creativity in business through the lens of ideas, stories, and visual cognition. And today's guest is Imogen Randall. She's the CEO of not one, but two research and insight companies, Quantum Research and Hall & Partners. And the reason this is such a fascinating interview is because researchers have to strike that balance between being faithful to the data they've gathered, but creative about the insights they generate for their clients. And I myself, of course, have worked in businesses like these. I know what it's like, and I know how hard it is to strike that balance. And we learned so much from her. We learned that she describes herself as an adventurer. She talked to us about creative flow, and for her, creativity is being mobile. So we learned loads about creativity in business. Let's get her in. Let's get her in. Imogen, a huge welcome to the Common Creative uh, Podcast. Um, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, welcome, Imogen. Great to have you on board. Great to be here. Imogen, you're, you're, professionally, you have two jobs at once, don't you? You're, you're chief executive both of Hall & Partners and of Quantum Market Research. Tell us a little bit about how you, how you manage both those jobs. We'd love to hear a little bit about those two businesses as well, please. Yeah, great. So the two agencies are quite separate, and so I sort of flip my week between them depending on where the need is. But um, they, you know, Quantum covers off cultural change and has a whole raft of different clients that tap into that. We've been running a, uh, a COVID monitor since COVID broke out. So we've got a, a long-range cultural trends piece that we've run for sort of more than 30 years. So we can talk about how Australia has been changing. But then also we've got this kind of finger on the pulse of what's happened since COVID hit, just to pick up on all the volatility that's happened in our hearts and minds over that time. Hall & Partners is... Uh, really looking at um, brand and communications uh, and covers off a lot of different clients and groups. And so it's, it's sort of similar but quite different at the same time. Yeah, you're probably aware that the theme for this podcast is about the role of creativity in business. And it's, it's a topic that Paul and I have got personal experience of, both kind of practising it and now preaching about it. And... I'm fascinated by your COVID monitor. I remember reading a piece uh, in, I think it was the AFR that you wrote. You talked about Fortress Australia and how we're not very good at kind of listening to new cultural ideas from overseas and so on. Um, has our approach to new ideas changed as a result of COVID? Oh, that's a super interesting question, Chris. I think it has changed, but I think we are opening back up again and really are keen to have ideas. And I think with the challenges and the wicked problems we're facing, I think our appetite for understanding how to change and adapt and evolve um, has accelerated post-COVID. But during COVID, it was very much a restrained um 
hold our hold the fort and continue as we are to kind of fight COVID. I think we went into the trenches. Now that we're coming back out, I think there's definitely an appetite for exploring what can happen and how we can do things better. Do you have any thoughts on, on what needs to happen? I, I, you, can, you probably tell I have an English accent, so I was brought up in the UK, and I, I think two cultural things need to come together for kind of lots of ideas to, to come out. One is you need to be a bit miserable, and the British are very good at that, having a moan about things aren't good enough, and I want to change it. <laughs> and the other is you need lots of stimulus, you need people coming in ideally from overseas, and, and you know, Britain particularly is full of people from different cultures and countries. And that makes Britain a very creative place. Now, Australia, I, I think, doesn't necessarily have that feeling of being a bit miserable, because usually, anyway, the sun shines. Not right now, I must admit, but uh, the sun shines, and you can always head down to the beach and relax. Um, and there aren't so many people from overseas. So what would you like to see happen in Australia to kind of to make us more open to creativity and, and more more of an innovative country? Look, I don't necessarily want us to head down the path of the misery <laughs> that the UK feels, um, particularly with rising energy prices and the backflip that we've seen um, from politicians in the UK. What I would say is Australia does have a lot of hope and optimism, so I don't think that's going to fall away anytime soon. It, you know, With the election of the new government, there's been a real sort of uplift in um, hope and enthusiasm for what might transpire and how change might occur. So I don't think we're going to get miserable. So that that is off the table. But I do think that if we um, are going to open our doors and we're starting to do that now, we, we've increased our migrant intake. And I think that fresh perspective and bringing that back in in droves will help to, to bring about some of that change. So if we've got hope and optimism and a desire that we can do things here and we've got fresh new ideas from people coming from overseas, I think that would be a nice kind of formula and um, create some of the, the change that might be needed. Imogen, mm. uh, that's really interesting. And, uh, and I noticed that in the, in some of the blurb from your uh, thing on Hall & Partners, it talks about that you weave a creativity with science. Um, Chris and I are just actually in the middle now of uh, publishing our uh, a mini-series on, on the the common creative on neurocreativity, and we've got these world scientists around the world. But one of the messages is, is really around, um, you know, and maybe it's why the British aren't so creative, is that you, you can't be very creative. You know, like you've got to be in a good mood to be really creative, basically, uh, is what the message is, the way the brain works. Um, so I, I'm really interested in that. And, and in that article that you wrote in the Australian, you talked about this, you talked about hope and about courage uh, and uh, curiosity. And, and I think we probably do have that. Um, from my sort of world, I suppose it's really about, I always said that what Australia needs to reconnect with is ingenuity, um, which in some ways, you know, is like creativity or a different word for creativity, but, you know, it's defined as clever, original and inventive. Um, what, what do you think, uh, how do you think we are going on a, in a scale of ingenuity in, in this country without, without, you know, outside support? I think we've thrived off the back of having the migrant populations come into our country. And because we're so far away from everything and because we've seen this, the disruption that supply chains have brought on, whether it's, you know, having to work extra hours or not being able to buy goods at the supermarket that we're used to or not paying exorbitant prices for fuel, we started to see the impact of that. And I think that tension will feed um, 
our desire for creating some change and bringing some of those things back home. So I actually think we're in a really great spot for that. Um, we're a little bit, you know, removed. And so by being removed, one side of that is we've had the Fortress Australia, but the other side is we've got a little bit, um, we're away from what's happening in the war and we've got some geopolitical tensions, but they're by no, no means what's happening, say, in Europe or the US. So we're sort of a little bit buffeted. And I think that's a good thing for being able to drive some of this um, change that might be required. Mm. Any thoughts on how you, you help a business keep its creative spark? I mean, Paul mentioned that point about weaving together science and creativity to deliver insights for your clients. And it, it's an easy soundbite, isn't it? You know, we, we, we bring creativity to, to our challenges and so on. But I think you probably know better than Paul or I how hard it is to keep a creative culture in, in a business, which businesses naturally develop systems, processes, uh, procedures, which risk grinding the creativity out of things. So it, I mean, at Hall & Partners or QMR, other are there particular ways you keep people sparky, keep them thinking new thoughts? So for us, it's easy in our job. I know I hate to say that because I do agree with you in organisations and a lot of the clients we visit, the risk appetite and the desire to create change is restricted somewhat by you have to have processes too. So there's this tension naturally within a client organisation. But we're in this fortunate position where we get to go out and take a client's problem and really unpack it with the audience. So whether that's a consumer who's, you know, consuming a lot of alcohol or whether that's um, a business and how they're, you know, uh, dealing with their supply chain, uh, chain, it's really mixed. So what we're able to do for us is we go and spend time, whether we spend time immersed in that life uh, and get through observation or through interview or through just kind of spending time together, we're able to um, spend time with people and then understand and unlock and think about how they do things and how they're doing things to work around or deal with a pain point or um, address an issue or an underlying um, psychological distress or whatever it might be. And it allows us to hear from such a wide range. You know, we interview from CEOs or ministers right through to someone who's struggling to put food on the table or making a compromise between paying their energy bill or food. So we get this sort of really broad cross-section of the community and of life and that feeds and sparks our curiosity because we can't make any assumptions about how they're choosing to do something. So for us in our role, we get such exposure that it reminds us of both the wonder, the joy and the difficulty and suffering of life in its full forms. Um, so I think that gives us where the tension is is, and that feeds creativity, I think, personally, between you're never going to be, you know, this goal to be happy is not really a true ambition. It's actually to feel happiness, you've got to also feel some suffering and some pain. And we're great at looking at all of those parts and saying this is working particularly well, but, hey, this is really where we're hitting some roadblocks. And we see some workarounds. And I'll give you an example. We had the opportunity to um, do some work with farmers. Now, if we'd done a traditional, what we call a traditional kind of just explore and do a phone interview or something like that, we would never have unlocked what we were able to unlock by going and spending a whole day 
from sunup to sunrise immersed in farm life. So we just tagged along and followed farmers. Now, farmers often have to work by themselves and they're often faced with um, either weather or tasks that require actually two or three people to do them. So they put in place a whole lot of workarounds. They develop systems for themselves so that they can actually, as an older farmer, a 60-year-old, lift a big gallon drum or lift this or do that and do it essentially by themselves with the equipment they have. So what our job was to do is really immerse ourselves on that um, farming experience and make observations about how they're working around them that they wouldn't even be able to explain to us and then ask them why they're doing those things. And together that is able to unlock um, some insight that wouldn't ordinarily come if we just followed a, a typical technique of just ringing them up and say, hey, what do you do and how do you do it? People can't really explain those things. So I think for us personally, creativity is fed through both the breadth of the topics we cover, but also the people we speak to and the insights that we're able to glean both from um, immersion and observation and just interview techniques. So for us, that, that really feeds our curiosity and sparks our creativity. Uh, you've reminded me about the powerful overlap between curiosity and creativity. And, and, and of course, any researcher has to be inherently curious. They've got to be just fascinated about the world around them, about the people around them. And that's what drives. So I, a penny has dropped for me there. So that, that was very helpful. A, a question I, I know Paul's trying to jump in with the question as well, but a question I had was, if you want to fill a company with curious people, people who want to ask important questions and so on, how do you find them? How do you test for curiosity? Well, I think there are some certain interview techniques. Look, and I'm not an HR professional, but I think in my experience, people have to ask questions and they have to be willing to ask some of those questions within an interview. And, you know, someone that comes in and just simply sells themselves is usually um, – you know, they've got to be a great active listener and pick up on the cues in the interview and then ask a question that's related. So I think those two things together, active listening feeds curiosity and you cannot be just simply someone that talks and talks on their own agenda without picking up on the room around you and what's happening and the, all the cues that come. So I think there's some subtle ways you can pick up on whether someone's got a, an appetite for curiosity. Um, Imogen, that's actually a great segue into my next question. What I'm curious about is how you got to where you are. Like, what, what is your story? Um, and, you know, and why are you such a curious person? Um, so my story is a little bit mixed. So, you know, if I go right back to my childhood, um, my mother sadly passed away and that sparked in me I guess, an appetite for adventure. So my parents were adventurers. They came out from the UK. They were Londoners. They were skiers. They were divers. They were cyclists. They met at a cycling club. I'm actually wearing um, a medal. My grandparents were avid cyclists through young London and they wow. um, won events in the 1920s. They wow. were tandem cyclists. They were doing 200-mile time trials and all those sorts of things. So... They then, the whole family immigrated in the 60s and came and lived in Australia. And so my parents were big adventurers. Sadly, my mum's life was cut short. She she drowned in our swimming pool when mm. I was seven, which is quite, mm. you know, and I say that 
Um, but it's had a, you know, a really big impact on my life in as much that from then on, I sort of became quite independent, um, and capable. And I looked after kind of my younger brother. You know, it was in a time in the seventies where my dad had to go back to work and, um, he, there were three kids and, you know, what do you do? Um, so he, remarried quite quickly and we joined kind of like a Brady Bunch scenario where there were um, five boys and myself and wow. you know I could play stay in the house and play dolls or I could get in the backyard and play cricket so I adopted a okay get out there get active do lots of stuff um, and my mum was of that nature as well and I think for me that set me on a pathway of just saying look you just don't know what's around the corner so if there's an adventure in front of you grab it go for it do it and try and keep a really open mind to what might come up and for me research you know I'm equal parts introvert and extrovert and I think COVID has really dialed up my introversion for a lot of people it's probably true and I, though, love getting them out amongst people and, and really hearing their stories because I guess like me, everybody's got a story and it's formed out of, you know, a set of circumstances either in or out of their control and how they then adapt and evolve has always sparked my curiosity and I think partly because, you know, through those set of circumstances for me, that fed my, a sense of connection, connection to other people that may have gone through um, something else but also got on with it and and kind of had to deal with different adversities. And I love the fact that when you deal with some sort of adversity, usually you come out a lot more resilient and you're able to sort of uh, understand that others too go through that and that helps form a, a sense of connection and belonging and um, that we're not alone and that everybody's got something that they're going through and it's hard. And so, you know, even when I'm in traffic and I'm a pretty bad driver in as much that I can get pretty uh, furious behind the wheel, but what I try and do is say, look, you know what, that driver, they might be completely distracted by, you know, someone close to them has passed away and I try and give them the benefit of the doubt for their driving because I just get so impatient. So, so you know, those sorts of things have really coloured um, – my perspective but equally research has been a tool that has enabled me to um, have such a broad facing sort of set of experiences that I've really um, thrived in this environment and it plays to my introversion and my extroversion because occasionally you know I'll do a big presentation and talk about cultural trends and what's happening and other times I'm talking to individuals and hearing you know I couldn't believe one of the interviews I did in my career um this woman and we were talking about her life and more broadly and it was actually for an insurance company so you'd be surprised how much people are willing to sort of talk through their life stories and she revealed to me in that moment that she was facing you know um, having a, a brain tumor and she hadn't even told her family yet and oh, wow. that ability to tell a stranger something that's so personal because you're able to form a connection um, to me has always been something that has I guess fed my curiosity if that, mm. you know, I guess full circle makes kind of sense. That's wonderful. Oh, I love that thing about the fact that you're a, you're, have you, um, do you know the word ambivert? No, I don't. Now, Susan Kane in her TED Talk, and I was actually there in the stage, in the theatre on the stage. I was on the stage, but not that day. Um, she, she says that there's a thing called ambivert and that's the person in the middle. And she said they've got the best of both lives. 
but I'm an ambivert, and I'm an ambivert because when you do a, a Myers-Briggs, you know, the way they ask the question, sometimes you answer this, sometimes that. But I'm, uh, what happens is, you probably experience this, I often agree to do things when I'm an extrovert, but when they come around, I'm then in an introvert stage, and I, you know, I don't want to do it. So I went up and saw Susan and said, Susan, uh, who's the author of Quiet, I said, that's actually not correct. I said, I'm an ambivert, and we don't have the best of both worlds. <laughs> So the, the the word is the word is ambivert. Um, so, so so just just very quickly then um, your career steps you know from from where you started as a I don't know as a what to you know CEO of not one but two companies at the same time. Yeah, so I was working as a um, a telephone interviewer. I was funnily enough finishing my marketing degree and I didn't know what to do and I was living in Melbourne and wanting. Um, you know, some part-time work, and it was perfect. We used to do these telephone interview shifts, uh, and then I would get a sort of sense of what it was about. And I just said to them, oh, look, I've finished my degree. How about a job? So I started at this company. Um, it was in Paran, and I just had such a good time. I had so much fun. I would travel the country. Um, we did a lot of work for the government and also for other big companies. And it was back in the day, nothing was virtual. So I'd be out the back of Kalgoorlie talking to miners or I'd be up in Rome, you know, in the back of um, Queensland. Like we just got exposed to so much. Uh, so, And then I took a job at... Um, Cadbury for um, a maternity leave placement and was um, the research insights manager. And so we were dealing with putting chocolate into China at a time where they didn't have uh, refrigeration and dealing with New Zealand and all sorts of like issues. And every day they'd be talking about innovation. There'd be a new chocolate bar. And so I think that time I spent at Cadbury, I put on about six kilos because every day <laughs> chocolate to taste and it was back in the day that Schweppes was also connected and you know I think soft drink wasn't the um the sugar hit it is now um so we would drink soft drink and eat chocolate and um it was a lot of fun though uh dealing with different countries so then I might was exposed to you know I've got a big appetite for understanding cultures around the world so you know working across Asia and understanding the differences and lactose intolerance and what that might look like when it comes to chocolate products and all sorts of different interesting briefs so to me that was a lot of fun and then I came back to another agency and um, spent some time at a an international agency and working on kind of uh, innovations in the um, tech sector. So back in the day when flip phones had just started and the internet was really new and um, we were talking about mobile phones and wrist watches you could take calls on and all these tech products that are now obviously with us today, um, we were doing some initial sort of insights work around and that was with a global business. So this exposure to, I guess, a foot in both worlds and it sort of plays to the amber, what's it called? Sorry, Paul. Ambervert. That you get a footnote both in the past um, and then a foot into the future by looking at, okay, what, how do these products work? And it, what amazed me was, I guess, how long those things come take to come to market from just early fruition so you're sort of dealing with oh gosh really will we do that and oh are we going to ride hoverboards are we going to have electric vehicles and all these sorts of ideas that were sort of floating around in um, we were researching and people are sort of like oh really how does that work in my life Uh, and now today they're here so it was this foot in both 
looking at the past and looking at how people behaved and then thinking through what that might translate and deliver in the future. And then I landed with, um, with Quantum and, um, fortuitously, um, we were part, became part of the Clemage group. Sadly, one of the founders of Quantum um, passed away from lung cancer and he was such a, a big, instrumental person um, in terms of the way he sort of had relationships and it was all about working with people and he was a great mentor Um, and his business partner um, then there was this opportunity to work with Clemager so we we took it Um, there were sort of five or six of us and uh, it whittled down and I, I became the sort of last person standing <laughs> and then uh, they the group took an opportunity to invest in Holland Partners um, and for some sort of the, where the business was headed it just became appropriate to, to sit across both so um, reluctantly I, I took the role because I was like well look I've, I've actually got a full-time job working I love the work that I do and I love being really hands-on with the work I do um, so even to this day I won't shy away from you know, I'm, I'm trying to run two businesses, but equally uh, I did a couple of depth interviews on cycling tourism because I'm absolutely oh. in love with cycling and therefore, you know, this was a real close to my heart and I just did some of them yesterday. You know, I can't hold myself back from doing some of the, the work because I still have such an affinity for, for that type of thing. So then, I, you know, it just sort of works that if I guess you love what you do, I've always been a believer that, you know, that then the rest kind of falls into place. I've just returned from a trip cycling around the Czech Republic. So I, uh, I think I understand a little about the opportunity of cycling. It was fantastic, by the way. Fabulous. Uh, probably not directly relevant to cycling in Australia, but anyway. Um, <laughs> cycling in the Czech Republic, you tend to put on weight rather than lose it because there's so many <laughs> wonderful things. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I was going to ask you, though, is what you've sort of, I think, beautifully explained the excitement of meeting new people, experiencing new industries and and exploring um, the world of research and the cultures and so on. But running a business is very different from doing that. And you you obviously keep your hands on. What's the difference? What's what's the difference in leading a research business, a curiosity business, if you like, and being at the front end of being a curious person asking the questions? Well, I think they go hand in hand in glove because you do need to understand what's happening inside the agency as much as what's happening with people outside the agency. So if you've got that sort of curious nature, you know, you won't shy away from asking people the right questions at the right points in their career to ensure that, you know, you're matching up with what they're hoping to achieve. And we're very much a people business and and I guess the benefit of being a leader in that is that you get to see people grow and develop and flourish and what we've really tried to create is a space where people can be curious but can also you know the reality is and people have lives and they've got to be able to have both a fulfilling working life and a fulfilling personal life and I think we've struck the right balance typically along those lines so we're very much respectful of people and the, the idea of being able to be curious is you'll have curiosities in your personal life that you actually have to go forward and achieve, you know, whether that's having a family or sport or art or music or whatever it might be. People have their own passions and I'd describe myself as like multiple, you know, people say go and find your passion. I, I've got multiple passions. I like spending my time on lots of different things and I think that feeds that 
curious nature. So when it comes to managing a business, at the end of the day, our business is all about the people. So as long as those people are fulfilled, both from a work perspective, but also from their personal lives, then the, it, it blends together really well. And one of the things we try and do is create that space for them to be able to achieve both sides of their their life goals within our business structure and agencies. And for me, that's important because then people can have a long-serving career with us rather than um, a rotating kind of replacing um, people culture perspective. So that's, that's really important. Obviously, numbers are important. We're in a business because we are a business. Um, you know, we're not a, a charity or a government agency, but um, my belief is if we're doing good quality work, then good quality work continues to come and, and that's always kind of borne out over the years that I've been involved in, in these businesses. So the better the quality of the work and the, the way you service and, again, having curiosity in the way you service it is fundamental to the way we try and build our, build our teams. Um, Imogen, you are not only an ambivert, you're also a multi-potentialite. Uh, it, 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 that's it, not a rude word, is it? I've learned so it's, much. It's, that, that's, that, that's, uh, which you share in common with both Chris and I. Um, but actually, it's interesting, and we've talked about curiosity, and, and this, I suppose, for, for, the, for the listeners, but Chris and I have a, a great story about curiosity that came from one of our early podcasts, a fellow Glenn Boyle, who was an entrepreneur, he had cafes and he had a cafe burnt down and his business stopped and he'd done all sorts of things in his life. And he was a real estate agent and he had kids later in life and he was at a, a six-year-old's birthday party and he got talking to this researcher from University of Queensland who was telling him that her, his, her job was cloning coconut palms. Now, you know, most people would be going, oh, is that the time? You know, <laughs> you know, that's, but he spent an hour talking to this woman and not saying that, you know, this was an hour of his life he'd never get back. He thought that's really interesting. And he went and did some research. And what was going on was uh, in the world, there's a shortage of coconut palms because they're very small plantations and the, and the farmers don't replace the palms. They're all coming to the end of their life. And so the production's going down. And the reason they're cloning these palms is to repopulate the, the, the palms around the world. So from that, he started a, a business, which is now a multi-million dollar business called Co uh, Coco Nui. Uh, which propagates these these um, things. So for my mind, that is the best definition of curiosity that I've ever had because, you know, he asks the question, you know, what's behind this uh, rather than going, oh, that's boring. I'll, you know, move <laughs> on. You know, what, what, what's on my phone? So I just thought I'd share that uh, because it really was a, a great insight and I, I use it all the time as a definition of curiosity. Paul, I love it and that's exactly what, we are spending our time doing and we've always said there's nothing that's boring because we always learn something that we didn't expect and people spend their lives dedicated to these things that would naturally seem obscure but in fact um, I think through understanding and that's that whole barbecue test you know people say oh gosh I don't want to talk to someone if they work for an energy company or something how boring but in fact you unlock a whole idea and that connecting of the dots is I think what we've spent our lives doing, connecting dots for clients between, you know, problems and how people are working around them or what they're doing in their lives. And 
I think there's also quite often a joy for people who are being asked questions. If you're talking to a, a consumer or a person about their life, they perhaps haven't processed what they do and why they do it. And the, the act of asking them questions makes them, makes them learn about themselves. They go, I've never thought about that. I just do it without thinking. And now you've asked me the question. I realize it isn't unusual or it does explain why I'm driven in that way. And so I think it can, it can be very rewarding, not just for a, a client trying to understand a brand or a strategist. It can be rewarding for the person you're talking to understand themselves. That's so true, Chris. There have been so many countless examples of that when we've spoken to people and they've gone, oh, yeah, I guess I do do that. I wonder, you know, and, and that's why I think we love the um, combination of immersing ourselves in people's worlds so that we can pick up on what they're doing because a lot of the stuff people do is actually intuitive and they just yeah. do it naturally without thinking about the sort of processes they're going through. So we stand, kind of go, no, look, we'll just come with you. One time we were doing a work with a major car company and we we went four-wheel driving with everybody and um in their their four-wheel drives off to fraser beach or down to gippsland or wherever and we were just sitting in there go oh, okay well why are you doing it like that and people were like oh i haven't really thought about why i did that but that's because i want to keep the kids entertained and that's the easiest way you know and then all of a sudden design brief pops out of that well hey we've got to keep the kids entertained while we're wanting to go off road you know stuff like that is just i think the thing that feeds being creative is joining the dots um but doing something with it instead of coming out the other side with something that you go look hey there are four opportunities for a design enhancement when it comes to the next vehicle and you know though some of the lead times are five years out but we're sort of trying to identify what people are solving for themselves without even realizing they're solving for it yeah. Mm. I'd love to know what's, what's your next adventure. I, I, I've, I've got you in my mind, not so much as a multi whatever that world word was, or it's, as, as an adventurer. I mean, I, I think that's a lovely way of describing yourself. It fills me with excitement. Um, and clearly there's been lots of adventure in your story so far, but what next do you have? A personal adventure lined up, um, a business adventure? What's, what's coming? Um, I think, look, for me personally, I've got a daughter finishing year 12. And once she's kicked that goal through in the next four weeks, I'm kind of that's excitement for me because um, my both my children will be through their secondary education. So for me, the world sort of opens up. So on the weekend, I was gifted a, a set of golf clubs. I've Ooh. never set foot on a golf course, and I've always said, you know, I've been a bit of an adrenaline junkie my whole life, and I'm like, oh, golf. But actually, I took to it, and I was like, oh my god, there's it's something quite. I can see what the obsession is about now. So, you know, so there's that part. Um, I've got a lot of cycling ahead of me, obviously a bank of um, travel that hasn't been achieved over COVID. And um, so there's a lot on that bucket list. And then, you know, from a business point of view, I've got a couple of things I want to achieve. And, uh, you know, I think I've got – I'm full of new ideas. If you ask my children – they go, can you just act on one of these ideas, please? You've, you know, at the kitchen bench, I'm, oh, I've thought of this. There's, there's this we're going to do. So, you know, for me, um, I will be putting in place, um, a couple of ideas I've had brewing for some time and seeing how they go, putting it out oh. there. Obviously we'll see what happens. 
Do do let us know. I, I think Paul and I are very familiar with that problem of uh, what about this idea? What about that idea? And it's much easier to come up with ideas than it is to to implement them. I think Paul and I are both pleasantly surprised by the common creative, which which we're two we're two years into this journey, aren't we, Paul? I think we haven't reinvented it, we haven't changed it, we haven't got well, distracted. It's, it's, no, exactly. It's a bit weird. Maybe we should. <laughs> Maybe we should. Actually, there's there's something interesting, and I don't know. Well, Chris, was it on a podcast that we had someone who said that they. Uh, because they have so many ideas and people misinterpret them, uh, it was actually um, that she worked out to that she needed to talk in draft. Um, oh, who's that? Yes, yeah. We'll have to look that up and put the link in the show note. But yeah, yeah. so and so I say to my wife now, I'm just talking in draft. <laughs> I love that, Paul. I'm going to use that at home because I think my children go enough already. You just you've had ten ideas this week, like. But I, I, I think a couple of them. I think what I have to do is actually have a go. And I think for me, you know, I was a single mother raising girls, and I just needed to get them through that next chapter. Uh, and now I feel like um, okay, my mm. partner and I, we, we've got an adventure ahead of us, and we'll explore some some potential new business ideas because I think there's a lot. I think the runway now, you know, I kept thinking, oh, gosh, I'm hitting my 50s, but I feel like I'm going to be working till I'm like 70, 75 because it's fun, you know. And if if you can find those ideas that um, bring the fun and the spark, you know, I think working in this way and the way you guys are, are running something like this and doing a range of other things, to me that's also part of the adventure. Mm. I, I, I agree with that. But there's that phrase about work-life balance, which I completely reject because the implication is that when you're at work, you're not living. And, and I think you have to find a way of just thriving at whatever you're doing, whether it's something that brings money in or not money in. And so, yeah, I think, think that makes perfect sense to me is, is do stuff that's fun. If it makes money, then so much the better. But, uh, yeah. It's well, be I, I call it – I, I, I talk about life work rather than work life because I think, it, you know, it, it, it's um, – but – uh, I do have a one more question, Imogen, as a uh, ambivert, multi-potentialite adventurer. Um, I think in our, in our briefing, we did ask for an image. You know, you've given us stories and you've given us ideas. Um, I, I suppose, do you have an image, you know, that sort of might um, illustrate, you know, the essence of you or...? No, I'm a very visual person as well, but, you know, because I think this is where my introversion comes out. I'm like, oh, I haven't really applied that imagery to myself because I reckon I'd have about five different images that I'd use. And, you know, one of them would be the joy from... Now, look, I don't look like this on the ski slopes, but if I could be one of those skiers taking a jump off one of those mountains, you know, and in the air, just with that complete joy on my face, I I can't do it. But obviously that to me would be like you're in the moment. To me, um, creativity for me is all about being mobile. It's when I'm the most creative. So um, it allows me to like, process so for some people it's in the sleep the dots are joined but for me it's riding a bike or it's skiing or it's surfing or it's having an activity where I'm in flow opens up kind of something in my brain that works so for me those images are all of those now I'm a hack I'm a hack at a lot of things but I love being mobile and and that's where I I guess I feel the most joy um and so maintaining that mobility and images that reflect that would be part of where I'm at. I'm imagining a mobility scooter with a workbench on it for <laughs> for when you're 80 and still working. <laughs> I love it. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I've got to save my buzz. It's been running around the kitchen or in the, hopefully not at home. <laughs> I'm wondering, I mean, you mean physical mobility, don't you? When you say yes. yeah, that's when you're yeah. slow, that's when. I'm wondering how you can harness that and work. You have put a running track in at, uh, at the office, get people to be physically moving when they're analysing a piece of research or something. Well, a lot of it, yeah, because for me, it's whether it's even walking, it's through the motion, I'm just mo- – that just feeds my brain and that's when I do my most sort of listening but also my quiet time. So I might do half of like if I walk the dog, I'll have a half the session will be listening to a podcast and the other half will be processing that podcast into my life, you know. And so I, for me, it's the motion and the t- – t- and I don't even know where I've walked. You know, I have to almost walk on a track, like a, a set path because I haven't paid any attention to, to my cues. And to me, that's where also – the blocking out of all the distractions that come through life um, is through that mobility. So you just you tune in to the what you're doing and you give it your attention and you somehow the the noise dis- disappears. Mm. I, I'm looking forward to quiet time though as well, Paul. Where um, because my dad has become an artist. He was an engineer and all his life, and now he he's a portrait artist, and his mm. whole house is filled with portraits of. You know, everybody and anything. So. Um, I, I, I share something with you. Um, my father was also an engineer um, and he took up, he became an artist as well when he retired. Um, and he had a famous name because his name was Ian Fairweather and there's a famous uh, abstract um. artist who was actually Scottish uh, who my father met once, and they end up looking very similar because they both had big white beards. Uh, so, yeah, so look, I think I think that could that could start a whole new conversation. But um, sadly, um, we're we're out of time, so we're going to have to uh, pull it to a, uh, a close. I- Imogen, it's been absolutely fantastic um, listening to you. I can see why you are such a great interviewer uh, because. Uh, you know, you've got a you've got a great voice uh, and, uh, and 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 amazing things to share as well. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Common Creative, and for me too. Thank you very much. I've learned so much about flow, about creativity, about curiosity. That's no, been great. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you for having me. It was fantastic to connect. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Chris. What a great conversation, and interestingly, Imogen clearly spends her life asking other people questions. So uh, I think we've turned the tables. It was our time to quiz her and ask her questions. But I'm sure she's very good at asking questions, but clearly she's also very good at answering questions. Very good at answering questions. And lovely to take a trip back into that piece of business that I've worked in, the world of research and insights, um, and to see creativity being applied in business. So uh, we'd love to hear from you if you're listening to this. Give us a a, a rating, uh, put some feedback um, into the feedback box, or best of all, tell your friends about The Common Creative. Yes, that would help us a lot, and I'm sure Imogen would be very uh, happy about it as well. So please join us next week for our next episode of The Common Creative Podcast. We'll see you soon. Bye. (laughs) Bye.